Hi, and welcome to the Rocky River United Methodist Podcast. I'm Stephen Young, and um, I'm going to be recording this by myself. Um, some of you may know that Paul um, and his family um, had got COVID, so really keep them in your prayers. Um, this virus has really touched home, and um, it's no longer that distant thing. It's Now it's right near us, um, and I'm sure there are many people who um, I've had family members who've gotten COVID. Um, my wife has actually had someone on her side of the family die of COVID. Um, so it's been really, really close. So keep um, those, keep everyone in your prayers. Um, continue to <laughs> pray for a vaccine um, as we continue to go through this pandemic. And um, I really, I, I know Christmas is going to be really different for a lot of us, myself included. But I just hope that we know that this is a, we'll look back at this period and, and hopefully we learn a lot from it, but it will not last forever. So we got to continue to keep our focus forward, not looking back and continue to look forward to um, what the Lord has for us and what even what the Lord is teaching us in this moment. So um, I say all that just to kind of say, um, keep Paul and, and his family in, 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 your, in your prayers and hopefully next time we record this, record another one. Um, Paul will be with us and um, perhaps maybe even talk about his his experience so look forward to that so for this one it's just gonna be me um, this is gonna be kind of a special standalone message for Christmas week I thought it'd be good to just look at one passage of scripture that I believe is one of the most uplifting passages passages in all of scripture so if you have a Bible close by, I recommend grabbing that so that um, you can follow along with this short on this short podcast um, on this passage. We're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation, but any translation will be fine. Um, we'll, and then after I read it, we'll do a quick... Um, I'll do a quick verse-by-verse breakdown of the passage, and I'm really looking forward to what we can learn from this. Um, It's been, I've really, really, really enjoyed um, breaking down this passage and reading it, and hopefully I have something that that can be uplifting and encouraging to you. So, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So this is just a fascinating passage. Uh, I know this isn't your typical Christmas, quote-unquote Christmas passage. However, I, I do believe this passage gives us a window into what God was seeking to accomplish was sending his son into the world on that Christmas day. Um, This vision in the book of Isaiah is certainly something God had in mind when 
um, with with Christ and what Christ again, what Christ was going to accomplish in coming to earth. So we're going to start looking at verse six. Verse six um, begins. This passage begins in, in a place of sorts. It begins in a place, and it says, "On this mountain," which is repeated twice um, in verses six and seven. On this mountain is not just it's not just a place but it's also a metaphor the metaphor of the mountain is the place where god reigns or the place that god stamps his authority over all things right on this mountain this mountain is also a place zion or or jerusalem quoting from a commentary that i used to research this passage um, it, it speaks of Jerusalem as a physical and spiritual place. So I'm going to be quoting from that commentary. And it says, Persons who travel to Israel are often disappointed to find that Jerusalem is not located on the highest mountain in the area. They have read passages like this one where Jerusalem is repeatedly referred to as this mountain and have formed certain expectations. But the point of this reference is a symbolic one. In the ancient world, mountains were considered to be the homes of the gods. Um, some Mount Olympus in Greece or Mount Caius in Syria was felt to be especially holy places. Here, God is saying that there is really only one holy mountain, the place where he, the sole creator of the universe, has chosen to place his name. Thus, Jerusalem's predominance is not a geographical one, but a spiritual one. So that, that's the quote from, from the commentary. So in other words, in other words, this on this mountain is the city of God. It's the city of God. The place where God himself will prepare a meal, a feast of rich fruits and aged wines for all peoples, right? So, so just to review, we're on the mountain of God, the, the, the metaphor, the place where God reigns, the, the city of God. So that, that's the location and, 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 the, and the event that's taking place is a feast, a feast, a meal prepared by God of rich fruits and aged wines for all peoples. God is clearly preparing something not just for the Jews, but for all peoples, nations, and ethnicities. For all those who have what's in common is that bond and trusting in God, which we'll talk more about that later. To all these people, peoples, and nations, and ethnicities, all that we have in common, that common bond is that trusting in God. This mention of a great feast for all peoples is a theme that's also carried over into the New Testament. It is mentioned in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus, when he's confronted by the Roman soldier who had a, had a sick servant, Jesus saying, speaking to the Jews, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, right? And I believe this is also referenced in Revelations with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words, are the true words of God. Revelations chapter nine, or 19 verses six through nine. See, this is a theme, this, this, this feast of all feasts. 
right? Of all peoples coming together. This picture here in Isaiah is trying to get across that this is the feast of all feasts, the, the wonderful celebration of God dwelling with his people. Also, this isn't any feast because God prepares the food, right? Rich food, the best of meats, aged in the finest of wines. This is the best food you have ever tasted in the best place you could ever be with the people of God and God himself, right? We're not, we're not, in a, <laughs> and no offense to ballparks, but we're not in the ballpark getting a greasy old hot dog, all right? We're, we're not, we're not in line at a fast food restaurant trying to get the greasy burger, right? And, and I, so I eat greasy burgers too, so. Um, but this is the best foods, right? The finest of foods. Just imagine. Again, I, I think in passages like this in scripture, you just got to sit in it. Just got to kind of marinate in, in the words of scripture. Take your time. Go slow. Use your imagination. I, I think a lot of times we, and this is kind of a side note, as, as you get older, you forget to use your imagination. <laughs> um, I have two young girls. And um, they're using their imagination all the time. And that's not an understatement. Maybe it is a little bit. Maybe, maybe they use their imagination about 90% of the time. 10% of the time they're in reality. 9% they're not. So um, it's incredible. And, 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 you know, as an adult, you, you try to, you, you want them to listen, but you don't want to stifle. Like, I want them to be imaginative. I want them to grow in their minds and, and develop. And, you know, reality will come hit them hard <laughs> eventually. So uh, you just got to let them grow and, and, and imagine. But we have to use in this moment, we have to use our imagination in a sense, all of scripture is building up to this climactic picture, this picture of, that even Jesus speaks of. Jesus even says as much when he's speaking at the Last Supper. Just before his death, he says to his disciples, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, even Jesus knows this climactic vision. Jesus knows the, 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 the critical part he plays in making this feast a reality. He says, I will not drink it again until anew with you in my father's kingdom. This, this passage in Isaiah, he has in mind. So now we're going to look at verses 7. Verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. So we have on this mountain, there will be a celebration of what God has done. The swallowing up of death. Death is the shroud that enfolds all peoples. It is the sheet that covers all nations. Death will be conquered. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 53 through 55. He says, for the perishable must be must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal must must and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
According to Paul, death is the last enemy to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. On this mountain, the feast, this feast is a celebration of God conquering that last enemy, death. And because of death, our faces are covered in tears, right? And you just think of this pandemic. We've lost so many people. And, 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 and what, makes, what makes this pandemic even harder is that people are dying alone in hospitals. And their loved ones are shedding tears separated from those who they lost. That's incredibly hard incredibly hard and you can imagine with god who who is sensitive to our pain who's compassionate a god who 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 took our pain on the cross who cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me right he knows what it means to suffer and just imagine the celebration of getting rid of death once and for all God promises to wipe those tears away because a life will never be lost in the new age to come. In the new age to come, a life will never be lost. Just imagine that. You know, even if you're, even when you're young, when I was, I mean, I guess so many people consider me still young now, and but even when I was in high school or college, death is always something that's there. I mean, I mean, you kind of think over it and you, you don't pay much attention to it. When you're young, you kind of think you're, you kind of think you can invade death and do whatever you want. But death is always there. Even when I was young, people die, all right? Old people die. Middle-aged people die. Everyone dies. Death is there. It's kind of, death is always kind of like, as, as this verse says, the sheet that covers us, right? It's, it just kind of hovers over everything. We just don't know when our time will be, right? We don't, we don't know when it will be over. I don't know. You don't know. We just don't know. And the Bible expands death from just being a physical death, but, but swallowing up anything that leads to death. Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 through 17 says, Never again will there, uh, will there be hunger. Never again will there be thirst. The sun will not beat down on them. This is the people of God. Nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water. Right? So just death in a, in a, in a huge, broad sense. In that we will not even have the things that lead to death. We will have a lamb, the lamb of God, Christ Jesus sitting on the throne. And from his throne comes springs of living water. I would also add to this and also say there will be a time when we know when no longer the nations or the peoples are covered in the blindness of idols, false gods and other things that lead to death. Right. So so we live in a time right now where people are blinded. By idols, false gods, maybe that's money, lust, sex, greed, uh, selfishness, pride. Uh, even, even good things can be, we can be blinded by our own education, blinded by our own families, blinded by our own successes, blinded by our own failures, blinded by our own achievements, everything. 
there's a sense that we're just blinded, right? And, 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 and that's going to be eroded in this new age to come. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just imagine that. The earth filled with the glory of the knowledge of God. This is also a theme that Paul, um, a theme Paul also mentions in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 through 18, he says, Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers their hearts. And he's speaking of the Jewish people. But whenever anyone trusts in the Lord, all right, whenever when anyone trusts in the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and whoever the Spirit of the Lord now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all who have unveiled faces right we reflect and are transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit so when we have the veil removed we're transformed into his image into an ever increasing glory which comes from god on this mountain of god the people of god will no longer have veiled faces we will see the lord face to face our faces will be transformed our lives our hearts will be transformed into his image and we will be forever reflecting his glory to each other the glory that comes from god this is what awaits us in the new age. And finally, verses 8, um, the end of verse 8 and verse 9. Finally, we're going to look at um, verse 8 ends with God removing the disgrace of his people from the earth. But this portion of the verse is saying, what this portion of the verse is saying is that the people of God have been disgraced by others because, because they've trusted in God, right? So even to this day, Christians are looked at as weird and backward and people who are behind the times. We're not caught up with the culture, right? Even now, Christians are, the culture is continually and will continue to shift. It's just a fact. It's a fact. It, the culture is changing. And our Christian beliefs will be ever more um, odd and weird. And, 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 and as a Christian, we are going to face cultural pressures, and we already do. Will we conform to what the culture believes is right and true? Or will we hold true to what the word of God says is right and true? We face this clash every single day. The moment we wake up throughout our day, what our coworkers say, what friends say, what, um, what, what teachers say, students say, right? We are confronted with the other culture that is a counterculture to what God says. And many times people, Christians are disgraced. And they say, why do you believe that foolishness, that old Bible? Why do you believe that foolishness? Jesus wasn't even real. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Why do you believe that? Right? First Peter chapter four, verses Chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the, spirit of, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, Blessed are you when others reveal, 
reveal that re sorry uh, blessed are you who persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you right so what this verse is saying in verse 8 it says the people of god will be cleansed of their disgrace which so the people of god would be proven true which leads to verse 9 in verse 9 it is the moment when the people of god say that god is faithful and true and he really does save again the people of god are going to be people from all over the globe every nation tribe language and tongue ethnicity will be present at this feast and as one people one people who have all trusted god and he saved he saved and the question so so this is also reality everyone is trusting in something all right the truth is that everyone is placing their faith in something all right so 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 often people are like oh you're a christian you have some sort of faith and it's like yeah and you have a faith too right we all live in this world seeking purpose seeking meaning seeking what's explanations for for what's the universe about why death why do we die what is love what is all these things these major 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 questions and everyone has a faith statement on how they answer those questions so if you're a christian listen to this don't ever let someone say oh you have a faith and i don't yeah you have a faith too right you're trusted in something to give you meaning in life and it can't be proven in, in a science and in, in scientifically it can't be proven um in a lab all right you can't prove the meaning of life in a lab all right you can't prove that why the existence of the universe in a lab you can't prove it in the mathematical equation you can't prove it by some guru right but i i believe the word of god gives the best explanation for why we live the meaning of life the reason why our world is the way it is and in the future that is to come i believe and not only that we have the person of jesus christ so don't ever let someone think that we have a blind faith we have a faith in a real human being who was god jesus christ all right the events that took place in his life are real you can go visit jerusalem you can see jerusalem you can see where jesus walked you can follow the path where he walked you can, you can see a general area where he would have died right the, and the and the places mentioned in scripture are there so don't ever let someone say you have this a blind faith of this hoax or some sort of like mystical fantasy of a faith it's not true the christian faith is incredibly anchored in facts historical evidence and history so everyone has a faith we're all living by faith and it is it is in this moment when all the things that people trusted is proven false but those who trusted in god are proven true are proven true Again, like I said, from the atheist to the agnostic to the Muslim to the Hindu person, everyone on earth is living by some kind of faith. 
But in the end, it will be those who have their faith placed in God and Christ that will be proven true in the end. The one faith that actually saves. And God responds in keeping his word and his promises. He responds in his salvation. It is also important to point out that this is a salvation that God, that God has accomplished. Not by what we have done, but solely by his grace and his mercy has this salvation been given to us. That is very important to keep in mind. As a Christian, we should have no pride in our salvation. Meaning that we should not boast in any, we, we, you can't go up to someone and say boast like, hey, I've prayed this many times, I've gone to church this many times, so, so that God has saved me. No. No. If that mindset exists, you do not understand. And I say this with, the, with as much grace and compassion from my heart, that you really don't understand the gospel message. If you believe that you had some sort of intervening work and that you earned your salvation. The Bible even speaks of the good things that we do are tainted with sin. For example, just imagine someone who gives to a food bank. Or think of this way, politicians who do all these quote-unquote good things. But a lot of it is PR for the be seen. We do it too. We might do something good for someone else, but we, do we really do it for them or do we do it for our own image? All right. That's just as an example to say even the good things that we do can be tainted with sin. There was only one perfect human being, and that was Jesus Christ. In the end, Christmas is the beginning of the preparations for the greatest feast ever known. Jesus comes to earth to begin the process of celebration, victory, and healing. The weight of Christmas will not be truly felt until that time when the people of God are all seated around the table singing the praises of Christ, who was born, the Christ who lived, the Christ who died, and the Christ who running, won, um, who rose again, the Christ who's going to bring eternal victory. Christmas is the beginning of the feast. It's the beginning of the preparations. And Easter, right? And in the ascension of Christ, we're, now we are waiting. We are waiting. And, and my prayer is that you have accepted the invitation from Jesus Christ. Right now, you can make that decision to accept the invitation to this feast. And the only way you get into this feast is by trusting in the Lord. Repenting of your sins, turning from your sins, asking for forgiveness from Christ, and making Christ the Lord of your life. That is how you enter into this feast, the feast of God that he is preparing for all those who have trusted in him. And the journey will be hard. People will not understand. You will be mocked. You will be slandered because you believe in Christ. But in the end, the people of God will be proven true. And I, and I pray that this message is an encouragement during this Christmas season when we see so much death, so much separation, so much loneliness. That what awaits the Christian, what awaits the believer, what awaits the follower of Christ is a feast, a celebration with the people of God. Where death is no more and the knowledge of God fills us to the brim. 
Again, I thank you for listening. And I really hope everyone has a great Christmas um, and um, has a great Christmas season. And, and I can't wait. And I look forward to um, hopefully seeing everyone face to face again sometime next year <laughs> as we deal with this virus. Um, and hopefully to again keep Paul um, in your prayers, his family as well. And hopefully you'll be with us next time. Thank you for listening.